0: This building has been open four and a half years. Um, We know what happened with the announcement uh, about churches and so forth. And I will tell you that we were as a board, as an elder board and pastors, we were honestly wrestling with this. Um, What should we do? Because I will tell you that our board of elders, and we are an elder led church and the pastors are also elders. One of the main concerns that the board has is that everybody be well. Uh, We want everybody to be healthy and protected, and so, you know, we've been looking at all the information on the virus, and uh, I never thought I'd try to become an epidemiologist, but apparently this is the times we live in, and and I am not that. But I will tell you, there's some good news on the virus. An Italian doctor, and Italians are always right, in my opinion, (laughs) uh, came out and said that the virus is actually losing potency. You can see that by the mortality and morbidity rates right now. They have really plummeted, I think about 94, 95% gone down, which is really good news. This Italian doctor said somebody in their 80s and 90s that would have gotten the virus a couple of months ago would have probably been on a ventilator and would have been in jeopardy. He says he compared the virus back then to a tiger or a lion. He said the virus is now more like a wild cat. In that, someone in their 80s and 90s who gets it now, doesn't need a ventilator, breathes on their own, and I'm saying generally speaking, and gets over the virus. So the cases have gone up. You all have heard the reports, but there's more testing going on. And there is an argument about what actually a case is. And you may have heard these stories that there are people who are waiting in line to get a test, and they weren't able to get in, so they left. They got frustrated, and they got a phone call that they tested positive. And I've, I've heard that with different names repeated multiple times. And I want to say to you, we are not taking this lightly. We have agonized over what, she, what should we do as a church. And I, I will remind you that we have had multiple things happen. When this all first started happening we shut down the church because we wanted to protect everybody. And we did live streaming only. And you guys remember that journey. And then finally, we were starting to see a, a little something going on where the church was being singled out, it would seem, for political reasons. It, it, that's what it looks like. And then there's spiritual things behind the political things. And so we signed a, uh, a, a document that said we are essential Do you know that right now in California, there's over 10,000 churches, 1,200 churches opened on Pentecost Sunday, and lo and behold, President Trump came out, and he made his announcement that the church should be open, the governor backed down, but then he gave us guidelines. The guidelines are, we have about a 600-seat sanctuary, and it doesn't matter if you have a 5,000-seat sanctuary, you are limited to 100 people maximum in your sanctuary, So you could have all the space in the world, but they said only 100 people can be there. That doesn't make any sense, and some churches automatically were not able to open. How could they open when they have 10,000 members? How many services do you have to do if you have 100 people coming into a 5,000-seat sanctuary? It's, It's unachievable. There's other churches that don't have buildings like this. They rent from schools or a community building. They can't meet. And then to go outside, you have to have the right situation to be outside. And I remind you, it is July. uh, And so, you know, it's not necessarily the most comfortable thing. I'll tell you this, and I'm just sharing from my heart before we start this sermon so you know where we're coming from. We've been praying and fasting. Um, I've been sitting before the Lord, and my conscience has bothered me. Because if we would have gone outside this morning, I would have been unsettled in my conscience. I did not want to violate my conscience. But I'll tell you, I'm not the only one making decisions here. There is a board that has wrestled with this. And I have a Sunday morning routine I'll tell you about. My Sunday morning routine is I get up, I try to offer myself to the Lord. I say, Lord, if you can do anything with this, please have your way. <laughs> Fill me with your spirit, lead me. And uh, I usually am driving here when Jay Vernon McGee is preaching. And he pastored a church for 20 years and it was called the church of the what was it called the church of the open door. Now a door becomes kind of a metaphor. Now there's not a Bible verse that I can take you to that says we must worship the Lord inside our sanctuary. But this sanctuary was built and it doesn't belong to me, it belongs to the Lord and it belongs to all of you. And it has high ceilings and good air conditioning, and we're spread out, and we're going to worship the Lord. All right? Now, I will say that you have options, and those of you who are watching us on live stream, praise the Lord. And some of you have compromised immune systems. Some of you, um, you know, you... you maybe have been fighting an illness, if you have the sniffles, a sore throat, anything like that, please don't come to church. We love you, but stay home. Okay? And the live stream is an option that everybody has right now, and it's been awesome to see the numbers that we've had on live stream. So, you have options. Now, there are some people, I think, outside, seated in the courtyard. That's another option you have. So, you don't have to come into the sanctuary. You can sit in the courtyard in the sunshine and... uh Put your sunscreen on if you want to or whatever. And uh, you can sit out there if you're more comfortable. Or you can come in here. And I will say that you can come in here with or without a mask. Now, there is a big debate on masks. Do masks do anything? You can hear arguments on both sides. Some people say masks may do a little bit. But you got to wear it right and have the right kind of mask. Other doctors have said masks are almost like having a chain link fence trying to stop a mosquito because of the size of the virus, because it is very small, okay? And masks can have an adverse effect on some people. I am not telling you what to do, but it can drop your oxygen levels. It can get wet and attract other things. So I'm sure you've heard all of this, right? But here's what we're saying. Please... Do not let the enemy divide the body of Christ over differing opinions, okay? Because he is doing a great job. There's a a church in Fresno, a pastor who's been on the front lines of trying to keep the church open. And by the way, we also were told that the church couldn't sing anymore. You guys remember that? And so um, these are unprecedented times. And this pastor said, I'm in Fresno, and I have a downtown church, and suicide rates are up, and... Uh, abuse rates are up, and I have hurting people, and I have people who come here for addiction classes and all kinds of stuff. And he said, I've got to keep the church open. This this is the nature of the ministry that we have. And he said, you know, I have people thanking me left and right for keeping the church open. He said, do you know who I've gotten the biggest backlash from? Other pastors. Now, if you're a pastor and you've decided to keep your church closed or you go outside That's up to you. Okay, God bless you. I pray that the Lord blesses your live stream ministry and whatever you're doing. If you're outside this morning, praise the Lord. I pray that the Lord is being glorified in outdoor services all over the city. This is not about who's right or who's wrong. But this is about if we don't stand now, do you guys have a sense that if we don't stand now, who knows what the next thing is going to be? I mean, that's kind of how it feels right now. It's just one thing, now. oh, now it's this, oh, now it's that. Now, I, I am a person who has a positive outlook on life. And I do look at some situations and say, you know, there are people in high places who are making tough decisions. And I know it's probably not easy for them. And let's pray for our governor. Let's be praying for our president and local leadership and everybody who needs to make these decisions. But I'll just say, you need to follow your own conscience and As you do, let's not judge one another. We've been warned about this kind of stuff. Let's not look down on one another. Let's not judge one another. Let's stand together in prayer and koinonia. I mentioned Wednesday night. We just had such a beautiful time of worship. I tell you, when the people of God are together worshiping our God, it is just an amazing thing. There is nothing like it. And the world doesn't understand it. So the world may want to compare us to Walmart and and there again, Walmart's still open, right? Or whatever. But the, there's no other entity like the church. And Jesus said the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. So let's be praying. Let's ask the Lord to change the heart of our political leaders. We can do things well. We are spread out. We want to love each other. None of us want to put anybody in any kind of jeopardy, right? We all want to keep each other healthy, We all want to do the right thing, and that's our goal. And please, brethren, do not be overcome by fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Amen? Don't be led by fear, because fear is the opposite of faith. Look, our God has us. Amen? And there are wonderful things happening right now, I think in our spiritual lives, this, this for me, uh, of many, many years being a pastor, this has been an amazing time to watch what the Lord is doing. And let me just add one more thing and then we'll get into the message. What do you think the Lord is saying to his people right now? What do you, what do you think he is weighing and examining in terms of our own hearts? Let's not be governed by fear. If we trust the Lord, let's trust him. Let's be wise, of course, we want to be wise. But let's be faithful unto him because that is our main duty. Amen. All right. We are going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. As you locate that, we once you have it, if you're physically able to stand, would you stand for the reading of God's word? I'm going to try to pull up my notes here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, to God be the glory. Father, I want to thank you for each person that's here and ready to study the word of God. It is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. My prayer is that you would be glorified in these moments we have together. As your word goes out, I pray it would be led by your Holy Spirit. It would land on good soil and that we would act upon it and walk in a manner worthy of your glory, Lord, of the glory of our God. In Jesus' name, I pray. If you agree, would you say amen. First Thessalonians 2, verse 1. You yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error, verse 3, or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship and how working night and day as not to burden, be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. And so is God how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Amen. You may be seated. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. He has given us his one and only son. And it is so awesome to see him working. In Psalm 29, let me just uh, read this to you. If you'd like to flip over there, you can. But... Just listen to this, ascribe to the Lord, David says, ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name, worship the Lord in holy array. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters, the, glory of, the God of glory thunders, the Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful, the voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord hews out flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to calve and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everything says glory. The Lord sat as king at the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Everything in the temple of the Lord says glory. Glory because he is holy. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Amen? And what we are to do as Christians is everything we do. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Write it down if you're taking notes whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do all to the glory of God. If you live your life to the glory of God, if you make decisions and say, will God be glorified in this decision? Is this about his glory or mine? Is this about pleasing man or pleasing God? You will be doing very well. You know, you could simplify your life pretty much by saying, Lord, is this decision, if what I'm going to do will bring you glory, then that's what I'm going to do. And if it won't bring you glory, then I want to stay away from that. So many verses I could share with you about the glory of God, but I think you get the point. Flip over to 2 Thessalonians just for a second. And uh, let me just show you something that Paul says at the end of chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. It's talking about those who don't obey the gospel. They will pay. 2 Thessalonians 1, The penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. 110. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day. Jesus is coming, folks. And to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling And fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in Him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Your life, my life, is to be about God's glory. The more I am living, the more I'm trying to realize what that looks like, what that looks like in my marriage, what that looks like in the ministry, what that looks like in my family. What that looks like in my neighborhood. We uh, were playing golf uh, just yesterday with, or uh, Friday with some brothers in, in the Lord. And we were waiting for a golf cart. Golf carts are in high demand because a lot of people go golfing and they're taking individual carts. And we had a chance to uh, just engage a young man. He's in high school. We're talking to him a little bit, kind of joking back and forth with him. And we just began to share a little bit with him about going to church and uh, I had a chance to speak to him a little bit. I just said, hey, do you, do you know what the gospel is? And he said, no, I'm not sure. And I explained the gospel, and then he said he had heard it before. But right there, as we're waiting for a golf cart, a young man opened his heart to the Lord. Praise the Lord. You guys out there anywhere? Okay, you guys are out there. See, you can play golf to the glory of God. Now, my golf game usually doesn't glorify God, but that moment was hopefully glorifying to God. Oh, I know it was. You see, there are a lot of hungry people out there, and the church has a vital role in these days because the deepest need for men and women is to be right with God. The deepest needs that we have in this life, I hope you figured it out, are spiritual needs to be reconciled to God, to have our sin dealt with, to be reconciled to one another. That's what we need and that's what the church offers that's why it's vital what we do is vital it's beyond essential it's vital and so paul is going to give us maybe three ways that we can break down the verses in first thessalonians 2 first the visit to thessalonica let's see what we can learn here the visit to thessalonica for you yourselves know 2 1 of first thessalonians Brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. Now, if you were with us for the first study that we did in First Thessalonians, you know that the group of missionaries, namely Paul and Silas, came to Thessalonica after ministering in Philippi. And there are three stories. Uh, that are focused on in Acts 16 in Philippi of transformation. Lydia is one of those stories. Then the servant girl who is demonically possessed gets uh, delivered of her possession. And then the Philippian jailer. Three portraits of transformation in Acts chapter 16 in Philippi. The last is the Philippian jailer. Because when the jail shakes, when they're singing the hymns at midnight and the doors open, the jailer's really ready to kill himself. Because as a, as a jailer who was responsible for uh, a, a prison like this and under the Roman authority, if you let prisoners go, it usually costs you your life. So he's ready to kill himself. And Paul says, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the man was trembling and he fell on his knees and he said, sirs you remember? What must I do to be saved? If this is who you guys are, the prison shook, something supernatural happened, the doors opened, and you didn't leave, and you all stayed, I want to know who you are. I want to know what you believe. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You and your household. The jailer opened up his heart. His whole family Came to the Lord, I believe it says there they were baptized, and we have a picture of the Philippian jailer actually ministering to the wounds of the missionaries. The missionaries walked out of that situation having been beaten, shamed, illegally beaten, illegally imprisoned because they were Roman citizens. Paul was a Roman citizen. And so the magistrates quickly sent them out of town. To be beaten with rods was brutal. They had to travel, if my memory serves correctly, a hundred miles in pain. They had been in stocks. They had been beaten with rods. Now you come to the next city, how bold are you going to be to preach the gospel? You still got the wounds. You still got the realization of the trauma you went through. And what does Paul say? God gave us the boldness to go into Thessalonica and preach. Now what if they didn't have the boldness? What if they would have said, you know what, let's lay low in this city. I heard, I need some you know some ointment on my wound. I'm not going to preach. Hey, we wouldn't blame them, would we? We'd say that's a very natural thing. In fact, they, they might have taken the uh, tact of, you know, maybe maybe we need to be a little bit more strategic. maybe let's not witness in the open. But you know what they did? They preached in Thessalonica, and a bunch of people got saved. And there was a riot, of course, and Jason had to pay a pledge and guarantee that they were going to get out of town, and people were threatening, and there was opposition. But Paul and Silas stayed for a little while, at least three Sabbaths, maybe more because you're going to see in some of the language that it seems like they established a work ethic in the city and they were ministering to the people. But the coming, verse 1 to the people in Thessalonica was not vain. If you see, uh, if you have an NIV, it says, "You know, brothers, two one that our visit to you was not a failure. It is never a failure to plant the seeds of the gospel in any region, in your neighborhood. You share with your neighbor; he doesn't become a Christian right there on the spot. Don't worry about it, because you've done your job. One uh, sows another. Uh, what is it? Sowing, planting, water, watering. But God brings what?" The increase. Your, your job is just sow the seed. Plant the seed. That, that seed can germinate in its time. You know what's amazing? Sometimes I'll talk to people and I'll have the privilege to lead them to the Lord. And I realize how many other people actually planted seeds before that moment happened. And sometimes I'm just on the front end of that where I got a chance to plant a seed. And sometimes I even have a chance to plant a seed without going through all the specifics of the gospel Sometimes I'm just kind. Sometimes, you know, you may not realize, but there's people in the city who know who you are and they know that you're a pastor and they may not go to church, but they know who you are. They've kind of, you've been identified. Some of you may not realize this. (laughs) So you're somewhere. One time I was in a yogurt store. I know this is shocking to you guys. I had a fake mustache on and dark glasses. I was trying to hide and, And I I heard, Pastor Michael? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes, it's me. It's true, you do like frozen yogurt, don't you? Yes. (laughs) Here's the point. Your life can speak of the gospel. And so, after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, what I just told you about, as you know, we had the boldness, idea of confidence, confidence, in our God, see, boldness doesn't naturally come from me, right? It's much easier. My flesh would say, Michael, don't, don't stir the waters. Michael, practice non-rockabotis in the Latin. Whatever you do, no rocking a boat, right? Because it's easier not to rock the boat, right? But in my God, I can be as bold as a lion in my god i can be strong and courageous if you for those of you who know me and you've uh, we've had a relationship over the years you know that i am not a man who you know i don't go to a restaurant and say you know to the waitress repent and receive the lord can i have a salad and a cheeseburger you know But look, there's times when, have you, have you experienced this? There's times when you're in a situation where maybe normally you would respond one way. And have you ever just experienced the supernatural boldness of God? Even in the midst of much opposition, and that's what Paul had here, this was not an easy place to minister. They had just been beaten. If you're still hurting from the last city, and now there's an uproar in the current city, look. You know, you're kind of saying, Lord, maybe I need to change jobs or (laughs) something like that. But do you know that we've had the privilege in the United States to not have to preach the gospel amidst much opposition? You know that? How many of us can say, boy, I have really exploited that? Well, you know, part of the problem is that many Americans don't want to hear it. Let's face it. But do you think that maybe more Americans want to hear it now? Do you think that people, just generally I'm talking about in culture now, are a little bit more open? I think they are. And I think it is an important time for Christians to seize the day. And what I'm saying to you is just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You're not going to witness to every person in a store or where you're somewhere, but just be sensitive Because God may prompt you to say that person needs to hear right now. They're ready. Just be ready. Let your Christian life become a little bit more exciting. Amen? Just be ready. Just say, Lord, I'm here. You got me at this company. You got me here in this neighborhood. You got me wherever you have me. New uh, English Bible says we took courage and declared the gospel of God to you frankly and fearlessly. Let me ask you, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Do you know the Bible says that the fear of man is a snare? Can you let the fear of the Lord drown out your other fears? I think you can, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Of wisdom and knowledge. So if the fear of the Lord drowns out your other fears, then you'll be good. Verse 3. For our exhortation, this is our urgent uh, cry, our appeal, does not come from error. We did not preach a fraudulent message. We did not stray from orthodoxy, you could say, or impurity or by way of deceit. Our exhortation, our preaching, does not come from error. Brethren, you have the truth. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the way the truth and the life. Do you believe that? You have the truth. Jesus said the truth would set people free. Paul says, the reason we came into Thessalonica is and risked it after being beaten in Philippi is because we know we have the truth and it's our job to give the truth to people who are dying without it. Amen? If you had the cure to cancer and you held it back that would be a travesty but even a cure to cancer is still a temporal fix amen i mean cancer has been a blight in our society many of us in the room have been touched by it and lost loved ones to it and it would be wonderful to see a cure to cancer but even if we got a cure people are still going to die but the gospel is the ultimate cure. That's why Paul says we came into the city and risked it. It wasn't from error. It wasn't from impurity. Just as we've been, been approved by God for to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak, the idea is we speak habitually, not as pleasing men, but God who examines or tests our hearts. We've been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel. I wonder when uh, we look back on this time and it's going to happen, There's should the Lord tarry, should he not come in our immediate future, people are going to look back on this time. They're going to look back on what happened to the church in the U.S. They're going to look back on the mandates that came down. And there's going to be questions that are asked and we are a generation right now look i'm beyond midlife right now so i'm thinking about okay am i going to what am i going to stand for in my generation what am i going to leave to my kids and my grandchildren that i haven't met yet and i pray that i will meet them are you with me see we've been approved by god and entrusted with a treasure and paul said to timothy guard the treasure But let's face it, folks, as the Lord walks amidst the church in Revelation 2 and 3, if he does that now, and I believe he does, I believe he walks amidst the church today to examine us, to see what we're doing and why we're doing it, what our motives are. Let me ask you, how much of the professing church today would you say has compromised the gospel? And for what? Well, because... Some people don't like to hear it, right? Because the gospel is really good news, but first there's some bad news. Here's the bad news. You a sinner. (laughs) Right? I don't know why that devastates people so much. I think we all know it, don't we? (laughs) And so the gospel says, yeah, you're in trouble, but... There's a God who came to save you. So we have to operate, end of four, not as pleasing men, but God. And here's why. Because God tests, NIV, or examines our hearts. Do you know that God is in the heart-examining business? Do you know I can take you to many Old Testament passages that say that the Lord searches the heart of men and women... He searches us to see what our motives are. Boy, that's unnerving, isn't it? And that'll make you look at why you do what you do and who you're trying to impress when you do it. You know, there's that old joke of people try to keep up with the Joneses and they try to get this or that. Do you know that the Joneses don't even think about you? But we're trying to impress them anyway, whoever the Joneses are. If you're a Jones, I'm not trying to offend you right now, but anyway. God is in the heart-examining business. How many of you have prayed that dangerous prayer from Psalm 139? Oh, Lord, search my heart. If there's any, loose paraphrase, junk in there, get it out. Woo-wee! Now you're getting a little serious about your walk. Search me, oh, Lord. Psalm 7, verse 9 says, Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous. For the righteous, God tries the hearts and minds. Proverbs 17, 3 says, The refining pot is for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. If you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, and uh, this would be, especially chapters 3 and 4, essentially what Paul says is on that day, the Lord's going to examine my work. It's going to go through the fire. And in 1 Corinthians 3, the idea is that what we've done is going to be put into the fire of testing. Okay, This is not judgment about sin. This is about how you lived your Christian life. And your work will go into a fire of testing. Some of it will be wood, hay, and stubble. And what will happen to that? It'll burn up. But whatever's Precious stones, whatever is solid, whatever can go through the fire of testing and prove to be genuine and precious, that will be your reward. And some people will be saved as through fire. The, the idea there is they're going to have really nothing to show for their life here. No reward, if you will. I don't know how all that works, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says. But if, you, if your work if it passes the fire of judgment and remains, you'll receive a reward. See, you're a steward of what God gives you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.4, I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. 1 Corinthians 4.4. There's a day of examination coming. We're going to stand before our God And he's going to test our work. And the essence of the passages I just shared with you have to do with the quality of the work, not necessarily the quantity. Okay? The quality. And I believe that just right now, on a Sunday morning here in Southern California, I'm not sure that most Christians even think about that day. Some of you have heard the idea of the Bema Seat. Of Christ, That's what we're talking about here. And the Bema seat was an elevated platform. It was used by a judge back in that day, but it was also used by a judge of an athletic contest. And Paul, in the language in 1 Thessalonians 2, is using the idea of athletic contest. And here's the idea. The, the judge at the Bema seat, he, he examines the, the way that the contest went to give a reward out. This is not to judge but you either win a medal or you don't. Everybody with me? This is not about being banished from the Olympic Games. The image is you either get a reward or you don't. You get a medal or you don't. You, you guys watch the Olympics? Okay, so you have a race. All these people train, 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 whatever your favorite sport is, swimming, gymnastics. You know, there's so many different sports. They train, train, train. Just to make the team is amazing, right? So let's say that you're running in a race. Let's say it's a foot race, and let's just say... You're representing your country and there's 10 runners in the race. Now let's just say that, bam, the gun goes off and you, know, you, get, you get into, you, you keep moving along and you end up in the finals. Let's just say that there's eight runners in the final and you finish in seventh place. You ran the race, but you don't get no medal. <laughs> there's no medal for seventh. Some people in our culture say, I beg to differ. There are There are now. Uh, That's a commentary on our culture, but I'm not going to go there. Second plank in this sermon, the visit, now the behavior of the missionaries. Look at verse 5. We never came with the flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Now, there were a lot of, uh, in the ancient world, there were a lot of people who went around. They were philosophers and stuff. They charged for their teaching. And they tried to get converts to follow them, but they would charge money. And sometimes, this is how uh, dark some of these movements were. They would try to get women to come into the movement because they wanted to manipulate the women. And I'll leave it there, but I think you know what I'm saying. We've seen that in some modern cult leaders where they get people into the cult and then they end up abusing people, even other people's spouses. I'll leave it there. But that's what was happening in the ancient world. So people were, you know, a little bit leery of a traveling, you know, philosopher or whatever. And you could be lumped into that as a pastor or preacher. And Paul says, we never came with flattering speech. Uh, This is what they would do. They would tell people what they want to hear. Oh, you're so wonderful and smart. You just got to join our group. You'd be such a nice addition to our group. In fact, I I could see that you'd probably be a leader. How can you tell you've met me for five seconds? Because I just, I know people. I I can see it. Have you ever been somewhere and you kind of got the idea that someone was trying to recruit you? Ever been there before? They're being friendly to you? Hey, oh, what a nice person. And then it comes, oh, by the way, I've got this organization. And if you would be part of our pyramid structure, then you would, oh, so were you friendly to me for me or for something else? This is what would happen. There would be a pretext. Somebody said, flattery is like bubble gum. Chew on it a while, but don't swallow it. You'll get that in a second. See, if someone is always flattering and always telling you, look, we love to hear what we want to hear. Oh, it is wonderful. They, I, I go in there and they tell me, I'm good enough and I'm smart enough and there's a champion in me and I, I can do it and I leave. Wow! And then I trip in the parking lot. Alistair Begg had a rant one time. He said, you know, sometimes in some of these modern. Extreme positive thought movements. Here's what happens. Uh, Someone finally gets up the courage to walk into a Christian church on a Sunday morning. And maybe they've been agonizing over it for a long time. They finally drummed up the courage to walk in and they slip into the back row in a church. And then a guy gets up there and it's a rah-rah session and he's telling everybody how great they are and how good they are and how smart they are and they're conquerors and champions And he said, and the one thing that person in the back row knows is that he desperately knows how broken and in trouble he is. And he knows that not one thing that was said from that front is true. He came into the church in desperate brokenness to find out if there's a remedy for his sin and his struggles and his fallenness. And he was told, you're okay, I'm okay, we're all okay, kumbaya, have a great day. That's not what we need. And it's not the truth. The truth is that humanity is in desperate need of a savior. And his name is Jesus. Amen. You been a little quiet, church. Come on. And and Paul says, I call God as my witness. La Fontaine said, Learn that every flatterer lives at the flattered listener's cost. Close quote. God is our witness. We didn't seek the glory of men. We didn't do it for greed. Either from you, we didn't want your glory, or from others. Even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority, some believe that this could have to do with financial support, which the context seems to uh, bear out. Turn for a moment to John 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Jesus often had encounters with the religious leadership of the day. They weren't all um, bad. Some of them came to believe in the Lord Jesus, but many of them were in it for the money and the power. And Jesus knew, John 5. And so this is just one of many exchanges, but take a look at John 5.41. I do not receive glory from men, says Jesus, 541. But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. Ouch. John 542. Your Savior just said that to a group of religious leaders. You do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, 543, and you do not receive me. If another shall come in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? How could you humble yourself and believe in God when your main concern is the glory that you give to one another? Do you know that so much of our lives comes down to how we think other people perceive us? What what a losing battle that is. If I could remind you, and I know that we all have, back to 1 Thessalonians 2, we all have people-pleasing tendencies to some degree, and I understand the dynamics of it. But sometimes, I think we may think that people think about us more than they actually think about us. See, some of us, we are... We are imprisoned by even our perception of what others think about us. It might not even be reality, but that person looked at me weird. What does weird mean? Do you know that they are weird? (laughs) Sometimes I've said, do you know that they look at me that way every week? I mean, hey, some people are weird. It's not always about you or what you did wrong. Oh no, what did I do? <laughs> Probably nothing. If you did something, then own it and deal with it. Are you with me? You, you could be imprisoned by trying to worry about the glory of man. And by the way, the glory of man's going to fade. They'll kick you to the curb in a microsecond. Have you realized that? People can be largely fickle. If you have some people, a small group faithful to you, praise the Lord. It's just the reality of life. Seven, we prove to be gentle, 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, among you as a nursing mother. Some say this is a nurse to her own kids. Some believe a nursing mother. Whatever it is, it's a maternal dimension to their ministry in Thessalonica. We like... We prove to be gentle among you as or like a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Man, I have a lot of respect for nursing moms. Because those babies are demanding. And as a husband, you usually say, Honey, I wish I could help, but later <laughs> going, you rascal. <laughs> Honey, the baby's hungry. Anybody remember this? the, the baby's hungry. <laughs> Honey, I can't help. You got the milk. I don't got the milk. And that baby. (laughs) (laughs) Nursing moms are amazing. They operate with very little sleep. It's a wonder that they don't destroy more things during the day, right? And some of the moms, some of the younger moms, when the husband comes home, this, is, this explains a lot, guys. you got to listen to this. This is why they say, take this child at least for 20 minutes. Calgon, take me away. Just let him take a bath. Turn on the jacuzzi if you got one. This is about survival, gentlemen. <laughs> All right, anyway, there's one image. Verse 8. I like the way the NIV reads in verse 8. It says, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you had become dear to us. Some rare, uh, in fact, this wording is nowhere else in the New Testament. It's very rare in Greek as well, but it speaks of a fond affection. And Paul says, look, we, we... not only do we want to give you the gospel, but we wanted to give you our lives. Man, when you get in a circle with other Christians, some of you guys are in a small group right now. I got a text from a friend that um, his spouse is going to be baptized this afternoon in their small group. What a precious, beautiful thing. You know, If you, if you have a, group of small, uh, a small group of people that you do a Bible study with, I, I have a men's group on Thursday morning I'm part of. It's just such a, Rich time. We go back and forth. We encourage. We exhort. We challenge. Uh, you know, the guys, as, as uh, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's, it's so encouraging because it, it tells me I'm not alone. It tells me other guys are like me and they have similar struggles and we can make it together. It's just so beautiful. Okay, finally, the last three verses are going to, or four verses are about their, their example. All right, so we talked about their, uh, what do we say? What was the heading I gave you? Uh, oh, the behavior, now the example. So the visit, behavior, now their example. Verse 9. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, working night and day. Paul was a tent maker or a leather worker. So it would appear that when they were in Thessalonica, Paul was working. In fact, verse 9 says they worked night and day. So as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Some years ago, I was, uh, I was pastoring the church in the early days of the church. Some of you remember those real early days. I was actually bivocational. So I was working in a printing company as an account exec. And I was pastoring the church. And I had a lot of things going on. And so I remember I went down and visited one of my professors. And it was at the school. And he, and he goes, how's it going, Michael? And I said, well... You know, I, I'm pastoring this church, and uh, it's small, but you know we're growing. And and uh, but and I'm also working a full time job. And I got my little violin out, and I was hoping I would get some words of comfort from my professor. Yeah, I'm working a full time job and pastoring the church. Got to prepare my sermons from nine to one in the morning because I don't want to do it while my kids are awake. Yeah. sympathy come on you know what he said to me oh well i'm teaching here and i'm working a construction job and i'm loading shelves at a grocery market and i'm also leading over here and i was like oh, rats <laughs> i just got one up by my professor when i was crying maybe i should stop crying <laughs> It would appear that they were working night and day in their trade, Paul and Silas. We know Paul. At least Paul, we know, was a tent maker. And it would appear that they were doing their witnessing, maybe also in the work environment, which so many of you have an opportunity to do. I will tell you this. I've been in full-time ministry for 20 years, but there's something I miss about being in the secular work environment, and that is I had a lot more interaction with unbelievers at work. So I appreciate being here full-time and being able to give everything to the ministry. However, there's an aspect of being in a company that I miss because I had a lot of opportunities to share the gospel with people. You are witnesses, and so is God. How devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Notice that Paul is saying, you can bear witness to how we acted Just as you know, 11, how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you. Second image, we had a nursing mother. Now we have, as a father would his own children. Some of the commentators have said that you need to see the nursing mother or the mother who's a nurse in the idea of how they cared for the flock. And you need to see verse 11 in the idea of how they taught the flock. You know, some of you remember, and maybe it's, maybe it's not around anymore. But mom would often say, "Just wait till your father gets home." And I grew up in an Italian household, uh, and they would throw things at us. My grandmother would be sitting on the chair, and she wasn't really mobile in my memories of her. And she would throw things if me and my sister were out of line. She would throw anything that was near a shoe. Uh, TV remote, it didn't really matter what it was. And it would return to her. It would hit us in the head and fly back to her. And she'd put it back in her holster and go, that's what you get for being a brat. We're like, how did she do that? She's got a boomerang on the remote control. And then my grandfather was a barber. In fact, he was known as the barber. And he had a razor belt. Anybody know what a razor belt is? Let's just put it this way. It's comparable to a rod in the New Testament. (laughs) It ain't fun. And Grandpa, when we were playing as kids, he whistled. And that's all he would do. And if you didn't come from a five-mile radius in response to that whistle, you were in trouble. And you were not going to get any pasta fajoule that night. <laughs> Why you didn't come when I called you. Grandpa, we didn't hear you. What do you mean you didn't hear me? <laughs> you messed with the barber, man. And then my mother, who will hopefully be at second service today, she used the wooden spoon. The wooden spoon is what you stir spaghetti sauce with. She'd also get out the pizza paddle. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's a little extreme. Anyway, but she used it. now. This is what mom would do. She would just shake the drawer where the wooden spoon is, and we we go running. I remember many times as a kid locking myself in the bathroom so my mom couldn't get to me. <laughs> I'm gonna break down this door. That's it. I repent in the bathroom. Anyway. Let's move on. <laughs> Paul was like a spiritual father. One writer said, Lord, make us like nursing mothers who aren't angry with the demands and crying of our children. Make us like brothers who are working together and relating to each other. Make us like fathers who are not afraid to speak the truth. And finally, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. See, this is what you need to walk, worthy. You need mamas and daddies and brothers to encourage you. That's why we are the family of God, amen? That's why we're the church. We need each other. And my encouragement to you is to become a vital part of this organism because this organism is going all the way into eternity. The church is going all the way into eternity. Everything else here? But the church is going all the way into eternity. Would you uh, bow your heart for a moment? I'm going to read to you just a praise passage from Revelation And we're done. I want you just to kind of drink this in. They sang a new song saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and you did purchase for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Thou has made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing, honor, and glory, and dominion forever and ever. Father, thank you for Jesus coming to rescue us. We want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. We want to balance the scales, so to speak. You are worth our best. Thank you for this wonderful church family, Lord, that's gathered. Some are on live stream. Some are here. That really doesn't... Matter in the end, what matters is that we've sat before you at your feet. We've been together, and we want to move forward together. Help us to walk worthy of the one who called us. Let us live a worthy life, uh, serving you. Whatever we do, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, help us to do it to the glory of God.